You are listening to the audio podcast of Gethsemane Baptist Church, located in Long Beach, California, pastored by Eli Reynolds. This shall be with burning and fuel of fire, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace shall there be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts shall perform this. What we're reading here is in context, we're reading God speaking to the nation of Israel. And in the midst of speaking to the nation of Israel... He's also giving a prophecy regarding Jesus Christ, God the, God the Son, who would come later. Now, oftentimes, we, we only read it as uh, in, in present-day terms, thinking about Christ. But, but as, as the Israelites would have heard this and read this, it would have meant something different to them. Because they were going through a time of darkness, as it says in chapter 9. They were going through a time of, of vexation or, or, or trouble. And we saw that underneath the reign of Ahaz in chapter 7. So during those times, God is speaking to them where they are at that time. But he was also speaking to the entire tribe and house of David throughout time. As he gives prophecies that, that would uh, affect Israel right then. But also prophecies that were going to affect Israel for the rest of time. So when you, when you read prophecies in Scripture, remember that there was a present context that they were understanding what was saying, but there was also the future promise of the Messiah and of whatever the prophecy was about. Does that make sense to you? So there was something present happening there. There was a King Ahaz, and there was trouble in the land. And God did say, Ahaz, I'm going to deliver you, and here's how I'm going to do it. Ask a sign. Ahaz said, no, I'm not going to ask a sign. And this is in chapter 7 that we're seeing this. <coughs> Excuse me. And, uh, and so the Lord says, okay, I'm going to give you a sign myself. And so he says, okay, house of David, all Israel, one day there's going to be a virgin that will conceive and will bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. Look at chapter 7 just quickly here, if you would. Again, if you'll turn back there. We're going to look at three passages of Scripture today. And what I want you to see in Christmas in Isaiah is not just the seed was promised, as in Genesis, and, and the sacrifice promised, in, in, uh, we saw in Psalms, but I want you to see the son promised. The son promised. And we saw that, and don't turn back there, but it says in 9.6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. A son is given. So we're going to look at that, but let's pray before I explain chapter 7 here. Father, we pray for your help today. <laughs> Lord, my, my voice is still getting strength back in, and I pray that I wouldn't be a distraction with it, and it wouldn't be something where I'm coughing the whole time. God, I pray you'd help me just to be able to get through the message without being a distraction from your word. Please speak with us today and help us to see your son in this scripture. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Remember, please, uh, just by way of, of uh, rehearsal, in Genesis, <clears throat> in Psalms, and in Isaiah, the theme that we're seeing about the Christmas story, again, Christmas is just the story of Christ coming to earth, and we see those prophecies in the Old Testament. The theme is that Jesus is coming. 
That's what we see. Hey, a payment for sin, Adam and Eve, before they got even leveled the punishment for them. He said, there's a seed coming. There's someone coming to pay for that sin that you committed. Hey, uh, in the book of Psalms, uh, a, a comforting book of the Bible, the book of Psalms, Hey, we're sinners. We deserve to pay for our sin in hell. But there is a sacrifice coming for your sins. So it's encouragement. It's saying, Jesus is coming. And so now we see here, a son is coming. And boy, if you go through the book of Isaiah, there are many, many references, many, many prophecies about Christ. But the nation of Israel here in this passage is being promised a son. A son. And so he says here, and, and uh, let me just show you quickly here by, by way of explaining this. I'll give you the first point first. What do we see about the sun in these passages? We should see three things today. Three passages, three items. I want you to see, first of all, regarding the sun, I want you to see his heritage. I want you to see his heritage. Look at Isaiah chapter 7, verse number 13. And he said, hear ye now, O house of David. Is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will ye weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. To who? To the house of David, to Israel. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. We normally stop there. Well, let's read the next two verses. <clears throat> Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For behold, the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good. The land for before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. Let me just tell you the immediate context of what God was saying there. God was talking to Ahaz, and there were two kings that were coming and afflicting the nation at that time. And what God was saying is, there is in the future sense a son going to be born to the nation of Israel. But if there were a son born at that current time, before the child was old enough to know good and evil or right and wrong, both of those kings are going to be destroyed. So God was saying, uh, you know, however long it takes for a child to know good and evil, he said, Israel, within that space of time, you're going to be delivered. That was the immediate context. But he was also saying, Israel, in the future, there will be a child born. There will be a, a, a savior born uh, that will be named Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall he eat. So he's kind of mixing a present and a prophetic saying here. But what's he talking about when he talks about Butter and honey shall he eat. Now, we're seeing God's heritage here, the, uh, Christ's heritage. What do I mean by that? Now, normally by heritage, we mean an inheritance. But I want to use the more modern meaning of that word by talking about a person's unique inherited sense of family, family identity. That's what we mean by heritage. So what was Christ's family identity? Well, verse 14 tells us his name would be called Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? What does it mean? God with us. Okay, so we see his heritage, first of all, he has a spiritual heritage with God. He is the son of God. What does butter and honey tell us? Butter and honey tells us, and what he's trying to emphasize is his humanity. His humanity. That Jesus, the Savior, the, the prophesied Emmanuel here, would be born and raised just as any other person. Every baby in these days was raised on those foods. Butter, honey, milk, things like that. And what he's saying is that Jesus would be God, Emmanuel, but he would be man as well. He would eat the butter. He would eat the honey. He would learn and grow and to refuse the evil and choose the good. He would learn and grow just like everyone else did. 
So we see here the, the son has dual citizenship. He's the son of David, but he's the son of God. That's what the passage is saying. The, uh, there is a, in, in um, uh, biblical theory, there's a term that you'll never remember, but I'm going to tell it to you, okay? It's called the hypostatic union. Hypostatic union. Excuse me one second. <coughs> Didn't want to cough right into the microphone for you there. But uh, the hypostatic union, now we're going to get into it, but basically it means that Jesus was 100% God, 100% man. That's what it means. And here we see that. He was, he was God in the flesh, but he was also man. He would eat like we eat. He would hunger like we hunger. He would thirst as we do. He would feel pain as we feel it. He would feel sorrow as we feel it. He would enter into our troubles and into our tribulations. He would live on a cursed earth just as we do. Now, Jesus always existed. And, uh, and, but, but now he's going to be born on earth. He now has a human heritage. He would have a mother named Mary. He would have a father named Joseph. He would have siblings. <clears throat> the Bible tells about relatives. What I want to say by that is this, is that you have a heritage too. You and I have a heritage. You have, you have a mother somewhere, a father, and may not be living, but you have a mother, you have a father, you, you have siblings maybe, you have a relatives, you have a past, you have a present, you have a future. And it reminds me of what David said. David said in Psalm 16, 6, the, the lines have fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. What I want to say is just as the son came with a heritage, a human heritage and a, and a spiritual heritage, you know what, we have two heritages as well. And today, you have a heritage of how you got here. You have a mother and a father. And I wonder today, how many of you could say like David that, that you too have a goodly heritage? You have a mom that loved you and prayed for you. You have a dad that loved you and prayed for you, or one or the other, or, or both. I don't know, but you have a goodly heritage. What I want to encourage you to do is to thank God for your goodly heritage. Thank God that you had someone that cared enough about you to, to invite you to church or, or to tell you about Christ. You ought to be thankful that you have the goodly heritage that you have. I grew up in a home with a saved parent and an unsaved parent. My dad was lost for many years until, for as far as I know, until I graduated high school. And uh, then, of course, he, he, he got saved, and, and I got to baptize him and, uh, later on, and, and then it goes to church faithfully now. But, uh, but growing up, my mom was the one. My mom was saved, but my dad wasn't. My mom would go to church faithfully. My dad would never go. Uh, you know, we, would be, we would be forced to go with our mom, you know, go to church with your mom. But, but, but there, there was two sides to that. But you know what? I don't look back at that, and I don't look back and say, well, I just had it rough growing up. I'm so thankful for the parents God gave me. I'm thankful they stayed together and are still together, even as a saved and unsaved couple for so long, and then, of course, the dad getting saved, but have stayed together. There was, there was never a whiff of insecurity in my life because of that. And I want to tell you, I thank God for the heritage that I have. And I hope that you thank God as well, because here's the thing I see. I see a lot of people, that, that, that they, they, they're in church now, they're serving God now, but they want to blame their parents and blame all their situation of where they're at today on everything in the past. And what I'll say, look, is absolutely your past has formed you, but there should be some gratitude about things as well. Well, pastor, you don't understand my past. Look, Jesus had some family members that weren't great either. But what I want to say to you is this, 
You're in church today. Somehow you got here. Somehow you made it. And I've thought in my life so many times, what if my circumstances were different? What if neither parent was saved? What if both parents were saved? What if the things I've went through, what if I didn't go through them? What if I didn't face hardships? What if I didn't face trials? And I wonder today, would I even be saved? Would I even be in church? So I'm not going to look back, and of course, we've all been through difficulties and not making light of anybody's past or their hurts. Those are all legitimate things, but I'm saying you have a heritage, and somehow God has brought you to where you are today. And I think we ought to say, God, thank you for whatever path got me here. I'm in church today. I'm in church today. I'm serving God today. I have an opportunity to be right with God today. I have a Bible in my lap today. I'm not in a rehab clinic. I'm not in all these different... I'm in church today. I want to encourage you to be thankful for your physical heritage, but be thankful for your spiritual heritage too. Well, I tell you, I'm so glad that I'm a citizen of the United States, but I'm so glad I'm a citizen of another country too. Got dual citizenship, but this world is not my home. I'm, I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue, and that's where my home really is. And no matter how bad things get on earth, no matter how forsaken I feel down here, no matter how many people walk away from me or walk away from God as I'm trying to serve them, I'm going to tell you I have a home in heaven that I get to go to one day. And I'm so thankful for my heritage, the sun coming to earth. Hey, what did that do for you? It gave you an opportunity to have a spiritual heritage where you could trust Christ as your Savior. He could, God would be your new father. You get millions of siblings all at once. Now you have people to here to help you, to pray for you, to weep for you when you weep, and rejoice for you when you rejoice. Isn't God good to give you such a good heritage? Amen to that. When it's dark, because that's what we're seeing in this passage, is darkness. Darkness, spiritual darkness. Israel's going through dark time. They're facing darkness by these different kings that are afflicting the land. They're facing spiritual darkness in chapter number 9. We're going to look at those in just a second. But when, it's, when it gets dark in life, I want to encourage you to think about the heritage God's given you. Think about the heritage God's given you. I want to say, secondly, what do we see about the sun? Go to chapter 9, if you would. Chapter 9 in your Bibles. Not only do we see his heritage, but... In chapter 9, I want you to see his hope. We read these verses, but verse 1 talks about the dimness or the darkness. Verse 2 says, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. So what is this light? Christ is the light. Verse 6, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The time before Christ came to earth was an exceptionally dark time. It was not called the Dark Ages, but it was a dark time for God's people. From the end of the Old Testament, when Malachi ended, to the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew is a space of 400 years. 400 years of no open vision from God. 400 years of nothing recorded, uh, as far as we know, under the inspiration, that we know, of course, under the inspiration of God. 400 years. Our nation 
is not even 400 years old, folks. That's a long time of darkness in the land. A long time of darkness. And, and, and not only that, think about Israel during this time. The, the people were under the rule of the Roman Empire. Uh, under the Caesars. Remember in, in Luke chapter 2, Caesar Augustus is mentioned. Pilate. You know, these, are, these are Roman authorities that had the Roman Empire had taken over the land basically. Even in the nation of Israel, there wasn't even someone of the tribe or of the lineage of David on the throne in Israel. Herod was, came from the, the tribe, was an Edomite. And so not even in Israel was there spiritual leadership of the tribe of David. There was darkness in every way. There was spiritual darkness. There was political darkness. There was darkness all around. The world needed light. The world needed light, and they were about to get it, but probably not in the way they thought. It was going to come in the form of a child. Charles Spurgeon said, It is noteworthy that the clearest promises of the Messiah have been given in the darkest hours of history. The clearest promises of the Messiah have been given in the darkest hours of history. Just as the world was dark then, the world's dark now. It is dark and uh, spiritually dark, politically dark, every way dark. And I'm not, I'm not a doomsdayist to walk out or saying, pastors, you know, lost it, the world's going to end. That's not what I'm saying, because we don't live in the dark. We've got the light. But the world is dark, and, and what our world needs today is more light. Now, Jesus was the light. He was the light, John chapter 1, that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He, but then when Jesus was on earth, who did he say is the light of the world? He said, we are. After Jesus, he said, hey, he's leaving, he's going to heaven, but, but he said, ye are lights. Ye are the light of the world. And so, so shine as those lights and, and be a testimony. So if God, if Christ came and he was the light, he placed the light in us, and then he says, now go shine. If the world's dark, it's not Christ's fault. Christian's fault. By the way, Christianity is Christ. People look at Christianity, well, I don't believe in Christianity, because look at all those Christians. Don't look at the Christians. We're all human. Look at Christ. He's the one. He's the light. But he gave us the light. And he says, carry the light into the world. Be the light. It gives us power to do that. I love that, that the sun coming here, I love that he changed everything. And by the way, when the sun comes into your life, he changes everything. I get worried about people who get saved, but nothing ever changes. I don't know if you got the sun. Because if something as big as God moves in, he's going to stick out somewhere. Something's going to change. And when Jesus comes, what does he do? He changes darkness to light. He changes death to life. He changes things. And I love that when the sun came to this world, everything changed. He was prophesied for thousands of years. He shows up, and now nothing's the same. What was different? Hope. Hope was different. Now, there was darkness for so long, but, but Jesus is bringing hope to the land. He's bringing hope to Israel right then. He's bringing hope to the, to, in 400 years after the dark times. and In Matthew, he's bringing hope then. You know what? He's still bringing hope today. There's hope. Without Christ, there's no hope. With Christ, there's always hope. Jesus brings hope into a dark world. And I want to ask you today, are you letting the darkness get to you? I wonder today if, if maybe you're facing a season of darkness in your life. Dark times, tough times, 
For some people, the holidays are not just a time of rejoicing about Christ's birth, but for some people, the holidays are a dark time. And it brings sadness. It brings, it brings darkness. Maybe it's the first Christmas season without a loved one. Maybe, it's, maybe it, to you, this time of year is just, it, it, it signifies another year that that situation didn't resolve itself. Another year that this didn't change. Another year that this happened. Another year without this. And for some people, it can be a time of darkness. Maybe your darkness is something physical you're facing. And it's just leaving you. And I know when you go through physical things, you can feel in the dark. You can feel sad. You can feel depressed. You can feel, excuse me, that, that, that you are just going through it. Maybe there's a certain situation that you're in that seems hopeless and dark. Maybe it's a work-related issue. I remember when I was in college, I, um, I was working a job that I hated. I, I just hated it so much. I don't know that I've ever hated anything more than I've hated that job. I was working for True Green Kim Lawn. It's like a lawn care company. And, I was, and, and so when I got to work there, and, and you know, I, it's a long story how I even had to get the job. But uh, when I got there, I was, I was the low man on the totem pole, and I was, making, uh, I was just making cold calls. They'd give me these sheets of print. Remember the printer with like the little tabs on the sides, you know, the, the fax paper? And they'd just set these things on my desk. I had this little cubicle. I'd walk in and sit at the cubicle and pick up a phone, and they would give me all these cold calls. The ones they gave me, and I'm trying to sell lawn service. Everybody in California has a gardener, right? Or you do it yourself, okay? Like, like, like I do. I do. You may notice what's why our yard doesn't look good. But uh, I do it myself, all right? But uh, everybody else has a gardener they know. You know, hey, yeah, the guy down the street, he does the, whatever, you know. But, but uh, for, I had to sell True Green Kimlon. And every person on that list was someone that had said, do not call. Everybody on that list was someone that had probably threatened the life of the person. Pre That's probably why I got the position. They killed somebody. Now, hey, you call the next guy in line. And I get in there, and I'm picking up the phone, and, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, yeah, hi, I'm calling for True Green Kim Lawyer. You know, and then it's like, I told you never to call. Here we go. What's your name? Jeff. All right, you know, or whatever. And I mean, like, I was getting cussed out all the time. You can only take so much of that. And look, I'm kind of, I don't like confrontation. I don't like it. Like, I'll, I'll do it if I have to. I don't, I don't like it, though. Some people are like, I love it. Yell at me so I can yell at you. That's not me. And, and, and so when I, when I would hear that, I was like taking it personal, you know. I hate you and your company. Why me? You know, I'm just trying to work my way through college or whatever. I hated that job. That, but, but my hatred for that job actually uh, spurred me to, to get uh, another job that was a security job. And, and so I got that job, and I tell you, I hated that job. I did. I'm going to be honest. Like, I used to love my jobs. Every, every job I had, I loved it. But then I get the security job, and uh, I, I, it was supposed to be during the day, and then all of a sudden I'm working nights. And I'm, you know, so I'm working like 4 to 7 in the afternoon, and I get a couple of hours off, then I'm working 11 to 3. You're always just supposed to get like 7 straight hours of sleep, 
and you're going to college full time. Now you're breaking up your work day. And then so one day I'd be working nights, the next day I'd work a day, then the next day I'm working nights, and the next day a day. And my, my boss had, had promised me some specific things. I came back to college my junior year and I said, okay, I want to work there. And I was working at the college, by the way. And uh, I want to work here, but I can't work nights anymore. I was getting four hours of sleep a night. Four hours. My wife can attest I was a zombie for a semester. I don't know what I learned. You know why? I didn't learn anything. I was just there. And I was passing classes. Who knows how? The mercy of God. And uh, so I don't even remember what classes I took that semester. But I remember coming back and my boss said, yeah, yeah, you won't have to work any, you know, any nights at all. Here's your, jo here's your, 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 your job is, is, is this time to this time during the day. And I said, perfect. So I got back to college. I wasn't looking for a new job. I was, you know, and, and all the jobs get taken right away, you know, and, and if you don't look quickly back then. And so I get, you know, I, I, I get to start work two weeks into the school year. And I got, and I started and I get my, and I get my uh, agenda or my schedule of work all nights. All nights. And I go and I say, you promised me all nights. Take it or leave. Oh, what? Yeah, somebody else came back, you know, and uh, the guy who quit before you, yeah, he wants to come back. So you get the night shift now. And I tell you what, I took that and I was a living zombie for a while. But that first job got me to that second job. And that second job got me to think, you know what? I don't want to work here anymore. And so I went out, and I took classes, and I got my guard card. You had to go security training to get a guard card. And I said, I'll take whatever you've got. So they came to me, and they said, it's not a full-time position. I said, I don't care. What is it? I will guard anything, all right? If there's a cigarette machine that needs guarding, I will be fighting people off. Like, what you need? You tell me. And so they said, well, it's this newer company. And it's only right now 20 hours a week, but there's a chance you may be able to move up a little bit in the security world there. There's a new company called Google. And I was like, Google? What's a Google? I'll take it, you know, anything. And I went to Google. And I tell you, for, for 20 hours a week, you know what I did? I sat out in the parking lot. Right out, I mean, it's freezing cold in Santa Clara. I'd be sitting out there shivering. They'd bring out a heater. You know, it doesn't... Is it going to heat the whole outside? No, I'm still freezing, but at least I had the heater there, and I'd sit there for 20 hours a week checking people's passes as they came in. And I, went, I was thankful. I was like, you know what, this is better than the job before that, and the job before that. After about three or four months, they said, you know what, let's take you full time. You're going to get these four buildings over here you're in charge of. I had free reign. I can't even tell you the blessings of Google. They, they call it the Google 15. You say, why? Because everyone that works there gains 15 pounds quickly. Say, why? Everything's free. They would have kitchens. Everything. Imagine, imagine this. Imagine going into AMPM and everything was free. Every drink. Um, every juice. Everything. Imagine going into the cafeteria at the mall and it being gourmet food and it was all free. That was Google. Everything was free. I'd walk into the, to the cafeteria Feel like I had stepped into like, you know, this amazing gourmet place and look around. And they'd say, okay, we got bison burgers over here. I don't know what that is. Buffalo burger? I'll take it. They have a whole taqueria over here. Oh, you want a carne asada burrito? Professionally made by gourmet chefs? Uh, yes, please. 
How many can I order? Can I get 14 to go? I got school this week. I'm a college student. Over here, duck, steak, a bistro. No wonder it's the Google 15, right? But I'll tell you something. I look back at that and I think, you know what? I honestly would have never gotten that. And for two years, I got to work there and live on that and just and try not to gain 15 pounds a year, you know? By the way, they had their own gym you could use too for free and laundry room and other things. Anyway, it was pretty amazing. But uh, never mind the, the liberal stuff. But <laughs> that was great, you know? But I remember, what did that do? I, I, I had not, had, I, I honestly know this, had I not gone through the job where I was on the phone, where I had not gone through the job with the boss that was dishonest and got, you know, laid off later, had I not been through all of those things, had I not been through the dark times, I would not have gotten to the light. It would have just been more of the same. And I look back at that and I thank God that, that I did go through those times. Can I remind you today that, look, there's always hope because Jesus is the light. He's the light of your life. He's the light of the world. He brightens everything. Say, well, pastor, I feel like I'm living in darkness. You know what you need? You need more light. You need more of Jesus. Get more Jesus in your life. Well, I know you can't get more in you, but, but you can certainly be around his presence more and, and more of his word and more around the, the throne of God in prayer. Our Christmas tree this year, we, uh, our light had burned out you know, on the top, the star on the top. We had it forever, and it burned out. And so we still put it on there. You know, it's still a pretty thing. But we just look at the tree and think, man, something's missing. So I went to the store a few days ago when I was finally able to get out of the house after this illness, and I was like, you know what, i got to do something. And I went to the store for a few minutes, and I found a star that actually worked. And I bought it and brought it home, and I was like the champion of the day. I was like, family, look, Father has brought light, you know, to the, to the house. And, and they're all excited, so I go over there, and I plug it in. And man, it's beautiful. It just seemed like something was missing. The light needed to be at the top. And I want to ask you today, what, what do you feel like is missing in your life? What is dark in your life? And if there's something that's not right, I wonder if the light's at the top. I wonder if Jesus is at the top in your priority list. Because if you put Jesus first, if the star gets where it's supposed to be, light shines through. So today, well, pastor, I'm in a, a dark situation. I'd say if you're in a dark situation, think about the heritage God's given you. And if you're in a dark situation, hope in God. Hope in God. Jesus brings light. And lastly, I'd like you to take your Bible go to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 in your Bible. I had another point to this, but I'm probably going to preach it tonight out of chapter 9, verse 7, about the heart of Christ. But... Uh, I'll probably look there this evening, but Isaiah chapter 53 is one of the most beautiful, terrible passages in Scripture. It is a picture of the Son who would suffer for our sins. It's describing in the Old Testament what Christ would go through in the New Testament. And the connection is so valid. We won't read the whole thing, but I would encourage you, if you've never read Isaiah 53... Read Isaiah 53. The Bible says here, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, plant as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. So Jesus, humanly speaking, did not stand out for his handsome appearance. He looked like any other guy. 
He is despised, verse 3, and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Read through the whole passage, and you'll see a beautiful picture of Jesus, of God sending Jesus. And Jesus, of course, being God in the flesh, coming to die for our sins. He is the son that shows us his heritage. He is the son that brings us hope. But he's also the son that we're going to see his humiliation. His humiliation. Uh, his, his sacrifice for our sins. Can I say we're talking about a son. When a son is given, it's a joyous thing. When a son is taken away, it's a devastating thing. I don't know what that feels like, and I hope I never do. But I know people that do. A son in the Bible especially was a joyous thing, but of course nowadays still too is a joyous thing, but a son being taken away is devastating. I think about Luke chapter 2, verse 35, when, when Mary was given a prophecy by Simeon in the temple. And Simeon was talking about Jesus, and, and he's going to be a light to the Gentiles. His life would be a sign. But then he says to Mary, Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also. Saying, Mary, you'll suffer. Because this child that is bringing you so much joy is also going to break your heart because they're going to take him and crucify him. And that's exactly what happened. This passage that we're reading in, in chapter 53 shows us that, that Jesus took the punishment for our sin. You notice how many times it says for our chastisement, for our sins, for our transgressions. He didn't come to pay for his. He came to pay for ours. He had none to pay for. But he took the punishment that was headed our way. Our way was dark, and it was only going to get darker. Because if you die without Jesus Christ, you have to pay for your own sins in hell. That's just darkness uh, multiplied, right? And, and, and how much worse? But the light of the world took our darkness upon himself. Whew. There's a song in Christ alone, and, and my, oof, it gives me chill bumps every time I hear this, this verse. It says, there in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. Oh, gives me I can't sing it right now. My voice is terrible, but I'll tell you, I, I love that. that. Yes, light of the world by darkness slain. But hey, it didn't end there. The darkness lasted three days. But then up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. What's the lesson for us here? Just, just, to, just to bring it down to one simple lesson that I would say for this message during dark times. Hey, during dark times, think about the heritage God's given you and, and, think, and I hope in God. But I want to say here that the lesson sometimes is that the way up is down. Sometimes the way up is down. Sometimes the darkest times in life can lead to the most glorious light. Sometimes God can take your deepest tragedies that you've been through 
and bring you to your greatest triumphs. I love 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It talks about the fact that we'll all suffer. You say, Pastor, you like that? No, I don't like suffering. I don't like it at all. But it says in there, as Christians, that God will comfort you that suffer. And then when God brings you through that, you can take that same comfort that God gave you and you can comfort somebody else with it. In other words, God can take the tragedies that happen in your life and he can give you hope, he can give you help where you are, and then he can not only do that, he can help you help transform somebody else's life. He can use you in that way. I think that's a wonderful thing where God doesn't just fix our problem that we cause through our sin, but he says, you know what, I can also use you to help a bunch of other people. You can be helped and you can help. And we all know that helping others is one of the most the greatest blessings we can have. You want to get through your tough times? Help other people. I've heard people just this last week talking about rehab, and they said, uh, you know, they were going through rehab, and they said uh, that they tell us to, to help get, get somebody else that you can keep accountable and help, because the greatest way for you to recover is to help somebody else. That's what they tell them in AA and other places. Where did they get that from? I wonder. I wonder where they got it. They got it from the Word of God. But that's what the passage here tells us. This last week, you know, I, I was sicker than I've been a long time this past week, and you heard my voice, and you heard my throat, and I'd have my good days. I know a lot of people in here have been sick and been, been dealing with stuff, but uh, this last week, uh, I think it was Thursday, I woke up, I had, a, I had a sinus headache, like the pressure behind my, I thought my eye was going to pop out, you know, shoot against the wall or something. There was so much pressure in my head, and I tell you, all that morning, it was a rough morning. I woke up early and, and couldn't sleep, and I had taken NyQuil the night before, an entire bottle, and no, I didn't, I'm just kidding, but uh, I, 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 so I was groggy, and I had wanted to sleep. I woke up, I, it just felt horrible. I, I got to tell you, I was, I was a little bit cranky. I was a little bit, cr I was a lot cranky, okay? I was having a hard time. I, my headache, I was walking around, you know, snot and just congestion and all this kind of stuff. And I had taken, you know, the Nikos, and I said, you know what? Ibuprofen works for me. I'm going to try it. Cocaine was next on my list, but I was like, if, if, this, if this does not work, I am, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, so I got, the, I got the ibuprofen out, and I want to tell you, it just cleared everything up. I think it was just God being merciful, but, but I, I, you know what the funny, I noticed this. I noticed this, that I was kind of down and like, you know, kind of like cranky. I had the headache and stuff. When it cleared up, the headache was gone. I was still sick. I was joyous. I was like, hey, do you want to play something? And I was getting down there. You know, I was, and, and I was like, what just happened? And I felt such a happiness and joy in me. I was like, I, I don't even understand that. What had happened was I was appreciating a little bit of wellness because I had just gone through a little bit of sickness. And I know that in my life, when God brings me through things, I appreciate things more. I love more. I love deeper. If we never went through anything, how could we, how could we show God's grace? If we never went through anything, how, how we, could we understand God's mercy? If we never had any trials or anything like that, how could we understand God's goodness in a deeper way? If we never had any trials or tribulations, how could we see that God is all we need? Unless he's all we have. And I tell you, when you go through things, it, it helps you to realize that, you know what? My normal life is pretty good. My normal life is a life without suffering. My normal life is a life w w without all these trials and tribulations. My normal life is pretty good. Now, we don't like humbling experiences. We don't like suffering. 
<clears throat> we don't like trials. We don't like tribulations, sorrows, heartache, tough times, uh, loss, or anything negative. And for good reason, right? Who, who, who's going to like that? But I would ask, what do those things teach us? What do those hard times teach us? And if we're listening, a whole lot. They teach us a whole lot. They teach us about appreciation. They teach us the truly important things we learn in life are learned through the dark times. That's how we learn them. I close with just by letting you know with, with 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. Peter said, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness, darkness, heaviness, through manifold temptations, through a bunch of different temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. I want to just encourage you today, when, when there's darkness, as there was darkness in the land, there was darkness when Christ died on the cross, there was darkness that covered the land. When there's darkness in your life, think about the heritage God's given you, here and there. When there's darkness in life, hope in God. Jesus is the light. But I would also say, when there's darkness, let God work. Let God work. God works through the darkness. God teaches through the darkness. God grows you through the darkness. We resent the darkness sometimes, and no one likes the darkness. No one likes the trials. No one likes the, the hard times. No one does, and, and it's justified. <coughs> Excuse me, but without that darkness, there are many things we'll never know, experience. There's a deeper walk with God we could have had. And so when you're going through the darkness, realize that God wants to draw you close. Let him work in your life. Let him teach you some things. And maybe the prayer ought to be, God, I'm going through the darkness. What lesson are you trying to teach me? Draw me closer. I wonder where the darkness in your life is coming from. Is there a spiritual darkness? Is there some oppression in your life? Maybe spiritual oppression? I wonder if there's darkness from within, from some stuff you're struggling with internally. I wonder if there's a situation at work that's bringing some darkness. I wonder if there's a physical situation that's bringing some darkness. I wonder if there's a situation at home, at work, wherever, that's bringing darkness into your life. Can I encourage you to remember your spiritual heritage and thank God for how you got here and the fact that you are in church and that you have a spiritual heritage. Hope in God. Remember that Jesus is the light. <clears throat> and let God work in your life. Lord, what is the lesson I need to learn? Father, I pray today that we would learn our lessons.